Some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. It is Tuesday, November 6th. It's the day of voting. It's the day to exercise here in the United States of America our, our constitutional right to democracy through the vote. And it's a big deal. And um, I'm Scott Bass. And across from me, our co-host, David Lee Scales. And we're here to talk surfing spit the spit podcast we're spitting at you we've got a full show we haven't seen each other in a couple three weeks david i think was out of town and um for whatever reason uh we're back and we've got quite a big show uh broadcasting live from the surfing heritage and culture center major shout out and thanks for uh creating a little home studio for us in the smithsonian of surfing that's right shack.org s-h-a-c-c.org Correct. Shack.org, and they have recently announced that they've signed a lease to move the museum from up here on the hill in a business park, which is rather secluded and sort of hard to get to, to a much more ideal location, the Dana Point Harbor, David. They're going to be smack dab by the boats where all the tourists will be. So in a couple, three years, two years, something like that. This museum will be down there and much easier to access uh, when you're in San Clemente or the Dana, I should say Dana Point. And so that'll be good. And they're excited about that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, I know you've been involved with Shaq for a long time. I'm not sure if when they started, if it was more just an archival thing, which if it was, this space makes a lot of sense just for housing all of the things. But I think as they've expanded and grown over the years and gained popularity, certainly um letting patrons come and participate and see everything in the museum has been a big part of the business. So making that move to Dana Point will definitely accommodate tourists, you know, and people who just want to attend. Absolutely. And this used to be also like kind of a hub for the magazines, right? Surfer Mag, Surfing Mag used to be right up at the top of the hill. Uh, Yeah, just for a little while, Surfer and Surfing were at the top. It wasn't that long. Of course, Uh, the Surfer's Journal is just across the street. Exactly. It's been there for a long. Stance is across the street, I think. What Stance? Sock Company. Socks? Aren't we talking about surfing? They're, they cater to the surf industry. Oh, do they? <laughs> are you serious? You don't know what I'm talking about? Or are you joking? I'm just pulling your oh, Okay, cool. No, I um, love stance. I love socks. You know, I love underwear. I love socks. I God, love, geez, uh, potential sponsor here, Scott. I know, I know. By the way, no. how dramatic is this lighting right now? It's kind of horrid. It's like you're investigating me, interrogating me for a crime. It's that, quite hot in here. Aren't you hot? I thought the AC was going to I'm going to try on. to turn it on while you talk. Okay. A little filibuster. Um, but because those magazines were nearby, this was like a almost like an epicenter of surfing and surf media and surf brands. Yeah. But it's kind of disbanded, I feel like. Well, you know, surfer. Surfer was for years was behind the coach house in San Juan Capistrano. When I worked there, and I worked there for nine years, it was, yeah, behind the coach house in San Juan Capistrano. And before that, surfing was here in San Clemente, like actually kind of near here, Mm -hmm. surfing magazine, like back in the 90s. And then, um, of course, both of those companies, those magazines became one, purchased by one company, and they're down in Carlsbad now. Mm -hmm. 
Anyway. Yeah, interesting. Well, we have a number of things to catch up on before we get into the meat and potatoes of the show. Yeah. Um, you just published an interview yesterday with Matt Biolis. Yes, exactly. Yes. Super. I enjoyed the interview. I was listening to it on the way in. I listened to it last night and on the way in here, and um, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, hopefully, I'm getting better at letting the interview breathe and letting the guests sort of take the take the limelight. But he, he brought up some interesting stuff. I don't know if he listened to it. I did listen to it. He did bring up interesting stuff. Um, you know, you got to love that he is willing to speak his mind and he's not really pulling punches and certainly that's always been his mo since the early days in his early 20s but um now at this point there's a bit more gravity behind the non-pulled punches you know when you're 22 years old not pulling punches you could still you're just a punk kid and even if you are uh gaining market share as a board builder they're, you know, it's like, okay, well, stick around for 10 years and let me see what you're doing by then. And now he's kind of at that point where he has all of the gravitas and he's tried all of the various things from manufacturing overseas and trying to change legislation for, you know, all sorts of stuff. So he actually has a pretty weighty opinion on almost all things surf, not only surfboard building wise, but also obviously the clothing company, surf film wise, working with pro athletes, like all of it. It's super interesting. You know, one of my biggest faults is is contempt prior to investigation. In general. In general. Okay. And um, I certainly had that back in the day and I talk a little bit about it on the podcast. And of course, as soon as I investigate, I realized that I was completely wrong and that situations aren't as I had perceived them in my imagination. So give specifics. What did you perceive and how were you wrong? Well, with 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 Lost in general and with Matt Biolis, um, as a kid growing up, we always sort of hated Lost. Like, But that was a regional thing, which I sort of explained yeah. in the podcast. And of course, once I got to know Matt and Mike Riola, those guys are great. Like, I'm huge, huge fans of those guys. And it's partly because, like you said, Matt's not... St- He's not. He's just Matt. Matt is Matt. He's not going to change, and he's going to um, say how he feels. He's a little bit, you know, he can be, like I said, forthright. He's a little bit blunt, maybe, and I think that's a good thing. And I'm glad that he hasn't changed, and I'm I'm glad he's Matt. He's a hardworking, and he's much more intelligent than most give him credit for. I think, or at least that, I did back in the day. I didn't. I just figured, oh, these guys are just. And in many ways, they were just like me, which is why I hated them. They were successful and I wasn't, or not me, but like San Diego in general wasn't getting the limelight. Because as we mentioned back in the day, the magazines were here in Orange County. So if you lived in San Clemente, it was much greater chance that you were going to get your picture taken, that you were going to get so quote unquote discovered, that they were going to talk about all things Orange County because it was just the hub of the surf media. And so being from San Diego, we always felt like we were snubbed, you know, that we weren't getting our due, which was silly. It was just teenage angst, you know. Yeah. So I've got a couple of thoughts. First of all, his intelligence does come through in the interview. I I was actually I didn't think about it like uh, overtly, but you absolutely are right. As you said, it, I'm like, yeah, you're right. I got that out of the interview, which I which was new to me. You know, I don't know that I'd really gotten that from him before in other platforms. But the other thing that I think about is um, talking about. Those magazines were focused on their local area and San Diego, even though it's close geographically, wasn't really getting the same kind of notoriety out of So now you and I are generating creating media with this podcast. I don't 
I'm not trying to give anybody short shrift ever. Like the the interviews that I elect to do are really based on who replies to my emails, who's geographically close enough for me to get access to. But then over the years, people chime in and they're like, you haven't had enough females on your show. You haven't talked about East Coast board builders at all or whatever. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're absolutely right. It wasn't intentional. I'm not trying to overlook. It's just my plate's full and these are the ones that makes sense for a number of different reasons. Yeah. But I almost also recognize at a certain point, you have an obligation to either those people or your fan base to create, um, you know, diverse content or whatever. I guess you don't have an obligation. If you have a lane and you're in your lane, you can work that lane hard. But realistically, my lane is wanting to be more comprehensive. And so I want to accommodate those requests. But I, so I think about that with the magazines is, I remember the same thing as you. Like, I remember painting them with a certain brush of like, oh, no, they're only really focused on that. As if there's some puppeteer who has a grand plan who's like trying to meet his plan. It's not that really. It's just you can't do everything. You can't be everything. To well, everyone. photographically, for sure, especially Surfing Magazine, which was basically more or less run by Larry Moore, Flame. His whole thing was shooting gravels down at Dana Point. I mean, they put out you know, image after image of Chris Billy and Kevin Billy and Mike Parsons. And, you know, I'm sure I'm missing a, you know, Vinny De La Pena, just a bunch of guys like generation after generation got that front lit gravels barrel shot, close out barrel shot. But look, and there were covers, you know, on Surfing Magazine. And so you always felt like, oh, man, you know what? If you're just not there, if you're not part of that Salt Creek crew and in Larry's sort of little umbrella then you're not going to get exposure and you know it's it's one of those surfers are the worst things you know it's kind of like here we are kind of and i say here we when i say we i mean just sort of san diego in general and i can't speak for san diego in general i'm just one of a million guys from down there right but my sense of it was that we weren't getting our due now the flip side of that is, of course, if they would have come and put a spotlight on San Diego, I would have been the first one raising my hand and going, get out of here. We don't want right. you to, you know what I mean? Like, it's the classic surfers are the worst, you know? Yeah. Surfers are the worst and also surfer on surfer crime, you know, like rather than you viewing them as brethren being like, oh, this is radical that like these people who, oh, by the way, are also in Southern California. It's not like they're a different species or on a different continent or something. They, back then it felt like that, though. But it that's was, my point is like, that is what... Um, we do to each other as human beings. It's like you turn against the ones who are closest to you because they slightly outpaced you rather than looking at it as, hey, if we unify, we are all one and we can all kind of raise the bar together, you know? Um, It's interesting. Yeah. It's a sociological thing. More than It's not unique to surfers. Right. At any rate, um, Matt Biola's interview, people should check that out on um, the Boardroom podcast. Yeah. And then... I'm interviewing Gary Linden tomorrow. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Perfect. And then um, I'm going to the Florida Surf Film Festival tomorrow. Oh, good. Through the weekend. So anybody who is within driving distance of New Smyrna Beach should definitely come down and check it out. It's been an interesting experience. I'm on the jury, you know, voting on stuff. Yeah, this is your second year, right? First year, second attendance. They do, they do quarterly screenings. Right. So I was there in June and then this one again. But what's interesting is it's really forced me to refocus attention and energy on surf film because they send you this list and then I do a marathon watching of all these films. What? <laughs> I just I just feel sorry for you. Like I personally I I have been on 
I have been a juror on surf films, yeah, festivals, and first of all, you know, you and I have had lengthy conversations about how horrible some of this stuff is. Like, let me guess, you love surfing; it makes you feel great. It's spiritual. Like, totally. There's so many trite cliches in surfing, and by the way, they're all true. It does make you feel all these ways. But please don't tell me that again, or I'm going to throw up. Mm-hmm. And so, are you sensing like a, a, a more uh, contemptuous eyeball on these films, or are you? Going into it open-minded and you're willing to see another film from some young girl that's 18 that just got her AV degree and is like super <laughs> stoked on how great surfing makes her feel. And So it's funny. Uh, this particular film festival, the Florida Surf Film Festival, curates the selection. So they get thousands of submissions and I think they give me 12 to look at. You know what I mean? So it's not... That's fine and great, but are those 12? The 12 are phenomenal. Well, Wait a minute. Yeah, they are. Don't you need? Don't you owe it to the filmmakers to be more critical? Oh no! Are, are trust they me, all I'm great criti- films. I'm critical in my analysis of them. Yeah. But I'm saying the standard of quality now is high. Right. They are. They are really. But if the overall films. theme of the film is surfing is great, it's spiritual, Some makes me feel good. I love it, and I'm going to do it for the rest of my life. Like if that's the overall arching it's, theme, it's not. It's, there's a lot more nuance to it than just that. And some of them are just surf porn. There's different categories right. for the films, you know. Right. So, But what I will say is that um, just like we were saying with the surfing mag thing that you just said, there's this limited group of guys only getting shots, cover shots at one location from one photographer. Now, every the great thing about now is if you are, let's say, quote, an artist and you have something you want to create – you can create it now. And yeah. so it's really you know, democratized the um, the playing field. Unfortunately, there's a lot of white noise because of that too. So maybe the greatest film prob- might not even get seen or it certainly won't get seen as much as The Endless Summer was seen or something right. like that. But the reality is like the bar is raised. Everybody, like you said, a lot of these people did go to school. So they know how to compose shots. They know how to light stuff. So the cinematography across the board is better. I think that narrative and storytelling is kind of what you're focused on. Yeah. And I, again, within that, there are there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of interesting stories to be told. Um, some of them are trite, you know, like, but it doesn't even bother me. Like one of them that I loved the most is called Tan, T-A-N, and it's about a board builder in France. Uh-huh. And it's just beautifully shot. The surfing's amazing. And it is kind of a trite story about him giving up a, you know, a day job basically to just go build boards on the coast and not make a lot of money, but surf all the time. And I've heard that story a bunch, but I was captivated throughout. And it's nice looking at a French you know, version of that story. Is it subtitled? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are great films out there. And and thank God for things like the Florida Film Festival and the San Diego Surf Film Festival. And thank God they're out there, right? I think Save the Waves has one too. There's probably a bunch. I'm sure there are. Because they do let the cream rise to the crop. Or, yeah, to the, to the top. To the top, excuse top me. yeah. So, and one film that that I think you and I both saw that we really liked. I don't know if you saw it. It was a Finnish film. It was called Finland, or it was about surfing in Finland. Was it a joke? Like a satire? No. It was about how friggin' cold and gnarly and hard it is. And that one surf, there was that one surfer from Mexico, 
And his name, he's kind of, he's kind of has an Anglo-Saxon name. It's not a Mexican name, but he's Mexican. And he get, and he was going to be a pro. He's from Puerto oh, yeah. Escondido. What was that guy's name? Do you remember? You know, um, I, mean? I know exactly who you're talking about. Yeah. I can't think of his name right anyway, now. Anyway, he went to Finland. He dropped everything. Went to Finland to go to school. And all of a sudden, so this film basically talked about how cold it is, how dark it is in the winter. Like, it was just the kind of film that that it was like the anti-surf film. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was yeah. totally off the radar, different. You know? Yeah. That guy's name is going to come to us in a minute. Let me look it up. It's. I don't even know how to Google search it to find it, to be honest. Let's see how good Google is. What I would mean, I now that in? we're talking about it, all we got to do is look at Instagram. There's probably an ad for it on our phone right now. Well, no, this, just from discussing. Oh, that's weird. Isn't that weird when that happens? I. That's freaky. Big brother shit. Dude, it's it's legit, though. I mean, they're it really is. doing it. You got to turn off your microphone on these, key, on yeah. these uh, iPhones. Well, um, I'm going to figure out a way to kind of give a review of all these films because they are worth watching. And I guess what I was also surprised by looking at all these submissions was how many of them flew under my radar. It's like I'm very into surfing. I'm paying attention all day, every day to surfing. And there's a bunch of great films that fly under my radar. And it made me realize there isn't a real comprehensive aggregate site that exists for surf film, like stab post surf films, Surfline post surf films, but those are really, they're just kind of filtered amongst the news stories and the surf reports and the wetsuit reviews and everything else. There isn't a proper website that maintenances all of this. There's, I mentioned last time, what about Ira Opper's site? Doesn't he? I mean, that is, but that's for paid. That's to buy like a feature length surf film. What's his name? Kalye Carenza. That's right. That's right. So here's the fin, it's called Fin Surf. Starring Kalye Carenza, you are covered with frost and it's snowing. A few minus degrees are multiplied by the freezing onshore wind blowing at 30 miles an hour. A man changes into a six mil wetsuit in the heavy snow. Grabs a... It's making me click to read. Anyway, you get the idea. Fin Surf is the world's first Finnish surf film. It's freezing and at the same time warm documentary of surfing in Finland. And in some other places as well. A world where life is a dream and a dream is everyday life. The documentary tells the story of five Finnish surfers. Anyway... Kali Carenza is the amazing part of that story because he left perfect, warm Puerto Escondido. He's, again, a Mexican national. I think his mom must be Mexican or his dad or something. Anyway, goes back to Finland where I think he's part Finnish. So he gets a, a scholarship. That's the only place where you can go to school and afford it. I think his mom might be Finnish and his dad, Carenza, right? That would be a Hispanic last name. Yeah, maybe. Anyway. We need an update on him. What's he we doing do. now? Because that film was eight, ten years ago. It was ago. 2011, that film. So, yes, seven years ago. Um, by the way, kind of transitioning slightly. Sorry, go ahead. I just got back from Hawaii, Scott. Yeah, I know. You, you interviewed um, Pat. Pat sent me an email. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Pat and I what did he tight. say? He's like, I had a great interview with David and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, I, I've been trying to get you on my podcast for like a month. What's the deal? Yeah, well, you got to go to Hawaii to do it. <laughs> I know. I told him next time he's in town. He yeah. He's the best. Um, well, I thought, I was like, you know what I think would actually be a service to listeners? And we should think this through before we actually execute. Uh An intermediate guide to Hawaii. An intermediate guide? An intermediate surfer's guide to Hawaii. Right. Because it's a story. like guys like us to go over there that need to be kind of like told to go there, don't go there. See, they know all that already. I think the intermediate guide is like, 
it's actually not as scary as you think. You know, like it's such a storied place, not only in terms of the waves, but the localism and all that sort of stuff. And even my girlfriend was like, oh, you shouldn't paddle out there. I don't want you to get beat up. And I'm like, that's not the way it works. You don't just get beat up randomly because you paddled out somewhere. And she's like, and she grew up in Kauai and she's like, yeah, it is. That's exactly how it works. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, in Kauai, not, there's probably uh, some spots. Like exactly. Where you don't get beat up, but you get told to go in. And that's what I told her. I'm like, well, first of all, you respect everybody. You don't battle for waves. You wait your turn. And then if you uh, violate one of those basic rules, you get told to go in. If you defy that, then you might get punched. But there's a lot of steps. So anyways, the intermediate guide to Hawaii is I show up and I'm intimidated. You know, it's like, crap, these spots are all different. There's just different elements. The water is heavier. It's just a different feel completely. Am I undergunned? What should I be riding? Uh, what spots are kind of user-friendly? All that stuff. Ultimately, I had a super successful trip. I got great waves the entire time. It wasn't crowded. Were you on Maui? Both. I was oh. on Maui, and then I did the North Shore, Oahu, okay. too. Cool. Um, but it's like I surfed backdoor when it was like head high. It wasn't proper backdoor at all. Yeah. But it's like I rolled up on the beach, watched it for a bit, and was like, dude, I don't know why I'm tripping. Like, it's totally surfable out there. Yeah. Why am I... Like if this was so home, you paddle out and look down on one and you realize it's two feet deep. <laughs> yeah, you do. But it's like I paddled out there with there was a bunch of the heavy local guys that everybody's names we know. All of them, they like said hi to me. Everybody's super cool. I didn't sit in their way at all. I kind of sat off to the side, but got plenty of waves. Yeah. And uh, it was more like beach break kind of rippable. It's kind of like off the wall meets back door kind yeah. of. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. proper. I'm not saying like I... Proper Norswell, eight no, foot off the wall. No, I mean, back door. No, and it wasn't thumping. You know, it was like, yeah. it was totally rippable and surfable. Yeah. But when you're sitting on the beach looking at it, you just know it's back door. And so you have this fear in your yeah. mind about it. But I had a freaking blast. So I, I think that um, I, you know, it's not as scary and as intimidating as you think that it might be just because of the storiness and the mystery, the aura of the North Shore. I'm apprehensive to even say any of this to like drive more tourism there. But it's um, if you are respectful and you learn etiquette 101 and maybe more than 101, you know, you get uh, upper division degree, <laughs> upper division etiquette courses as well at your local surf spots. They apply there too. Yeah. And um, yeah, I just I had a positive experience is all that I mean to say. Uh, that's good. Yeah, I'm glad. Where yeah, else yeah. did you surf? Uh, on the North Shore in Maui. North Shore. On the North Shore, Lania Kea. Yeah. Super fun, dude. Yeah. I mean, I was just going to say that's sort of the go-to Howley spot. It's the go-to. Plus, early season, the, the North Swells are really good there. And it was crowded, and there was plenty of waves. So even spread when it was out. Crowded, so you know? spread out. So spread out. But then, what about Chuns? You surf Chuns? It. Lonnie's always look better than Chun's. Yeah. It's like Chun's is good, but I'll just go surf Lonnie's. Well, yeah. Holton's? Surf Holton's? No, I don't know what that is. That's the peak between, um, not Chun's, but uh, Jocko's and Holly, uh, Lonnie K. Okay. There's, there's, a, there's a spot. Yeah. Just north, just the YMA side of Lonnie K before you get to Jocko's. Okay. It's just another like random crappy wave. It's not yeah. a main wave, but it's a wave where I would surf just to get alone. Yeah. Well, so... They ran the first day of the sunset comp when I was there, too. That day that I interviewed Pat, actually. And now that, on the other hand, is frightening. Like, <laughs> when it's proper. Because you realize, like, even at somewhere like Lonnie's where it's um, user-friendly, 
you just draw everything is drawn out there's so much playing field that it's like you start bottom turning and there's you know uh what where you're going to do your turn is like 30 yards ahead of you and you're like my bottom turn is basically going to last 30 yards and then i got to map that turn out everything is just drawn out and longer and you ride longer boards all that sort of stuff well then sunset is that times 20. yeah it's just crazy crazy amount of uh playing yeah. field yeah it's it's really interesting. Yeah, it's awesome. So then you see guys if, who surf it well and they treat it like it's lowers or something. You're like, maybe not lowers, but like Jack Robinson out there. You're just like, what? Response like his response time and ability to kind of like make minute adjustments in the last minute is trippy. Well, that that wave's probably. I think it's probably the best wave in the world. Like if you stripped away all the the crowd and all the like as far as just like the perfect wave it's kind of the perfect wave like it's got everything it's got an insane drop it's got that west bowl that's the insane drop that feathers for 50 yards before it actually breaks and and it's got the inside barrel which is kind of gnarly and it'll smack you and it's sometimes you a lot more that more often than not you don't make it out and which is the best part about a barrel is not knowing right and that is the most unpredictable barrel it's just it's got everything like when I look, when I'm on my deathbed and I look back, that those sessions at Sunset Beach will be like those are the ones where, when you're on the beach after the session, you are on a high, you're at a heightened level emotionally. Like you're like, oh my god! Like you're just at a totally different level of, of, I don't know, Zen or something. But it's just insane. But yeah, fascinating. It's a it's a really I don't know. I had a good good experience. Um, I guess guys that surf there all the time that live there probably would hear this and go, dude, what's the big deal? Well, but I remember it just being mind-blowing and just being, you know. What was interesting to me, we're in surf riders' offices, by the way, so the phone is oh, not our surfing, responsibility. Surfing Heritage oh, sorry, Culture Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Um, by the way, what I was shocked to hear from Biolis was that the women have a CT event there next year. I know, that's did you so know cool. That? I, did not, that? I did not know that. I did hear him say that, and... And even more than that, what's fascinating to me is the concept of a men's and women's CT at Sunset Beach with a ski. Like, I've always just thought, okay, you know, it's just going to be guys paddling around and being getting their ass kicked and it's going to be a rough go of it. Right. And you're going to come in after every heat like you did a freaking boxing match. Right. And um, I think that's really a great concept. And I don't know if it's permittable. Like, I guess they allow you to do that. They don't have skis at Pipe. They don't have skis. Do they have skis at Haleiwa? I don't think. See, I think, I don't think part of the do. permitting there doesn't allow for skis. No, That's well, why they don't do it. I've seen skis in the lineup at Sunset, but no, I don't but think there's been skis in the lineup. But I mean, yeah, they weren't. I mean, there's surfers. Yeah, they don't. There's caddying. I don't think they They're allow just shooting it. footage. I off think there's ski. like legal insurance liability yeah. issues. I think there's a reason why they haven't done it. Yeah. Wait. So. Is it just a women's CT there, or are the men surfing as well? You know what? I don't know. Biolis implied it was just women. I know, which which is a bummer. You know, I I mean, you and I have spoken at length about we need an event at Sunset Beach. I can't have a world champion that's not a proven big wave. That at least hasn't... It's a bummer in that sense, but it's a good move, period. And then it's a bummer that the men aren't included. Well, here's the other thing, and Matt and I talked about this. 
I'm okay with an event at sunset. I love it. You and I love it. We've wanted it forever. It needs to happen. It's part of surf culture. But I don't dig it when the guys just are getting nines for getting barreled on the inside. Because right. we might as well just have the event at back door. Right. Like to me, Sunset Beach is about catching that 12-foot west peak like Kong used to do and like Rabbit and all the guys, Mark Warren, everybody back in the day. All Scott's the, rolling up the windows right yeah, now. Yeah, just, just like the heavy drops, you know, and, yeah. and Kong doing the hand drive all the way down this chattering face and tiptoeing to the bottom. You know, who comes to mind is that Australian that had that great Munga coverage. Barry. Munga, yeah. And that's a part of Sunset Beach and to eliminate that is a problem. I'm not saying they're going to, but the way that you guarantee that is if you're just going to catch reforms and get the barrel on the inside, yeah. the most we're going to give you is a seven. Right. The most. Right. Even if you get double spit out of the barrel. I trust. You have to go outside and catch that big West Peak. And, and then that's connect what sunset, it to that barrel. Exactly. Exactly. that's the 10. Exactly. Yeah. That's what they were doing with Albie Layer at Jaws, where he was sitting on the inside peak and getting barreled. I think they only gave him sevens for those. Yeah. Because they, I think they made that decision too, where it's like, no, go sit out the back, you know, with Billy Kemper and Shane Dorian and those guys and try to connect it into that barrel section. You've mentioned so, two things. Uh, Dorian and Robbo that I want to get to later in the show. Okay. Um, uh, Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I have our sponsors on my notes oh good um need need essentials by the way yeah i just got a new suit I did just you bought a new suit three two or four three two front zip okay yeah i just bought I, a new suit too i bought I, a five four for I get, really the Where northeast you? i'm oh, going yeah. after thanksgiving oh my god i know you better get booties and gloves and hood and everything it's got a hood on it and i've got booties already what kind of booties do you got the need ones oh, okay yeah the need ones i got them from last year um and I like them. I, I like booties in general, to be honest. I kind of look forward to wintertime to wearing booties. But I, I don't think I've ever worn a 5.4. I've definitely never oh owned I've never owned a 5.4. I'm not sure I could get out of one. I could probably get into one. I don't right. know if I could get out of it. Yeah. So, well, I just sent Rob. You know how they send, hey, do a review on our suit. I just sent him a review. And I was like, love the suit. By the way... Remember a couple last year I mentioned those Soul Light booties yes. from Jersey? Yes. Those booties are insane. They're so killer. They, oh, you they mold to your foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You pour hot water in them. Right. So I'm like, Rob, you got to get these things going with Need, man. I think I've never tried the Need booties. I'm sure they're great. But I've always had a problem with booties. I could, I've never been able to find a good pair of booties until I found these other ones. Because you got funky feet? Yeah, I got funky feet. I have one foot that has a freaky, like, you know, thing in it in yeah. the front toe. And... And that front toe gets pinched off and it goes numb. And so oh. like, what good are booties if my toes are numb? Well, don't get the split toe. Get the full Well, it didn't foot. matter. Even the even those ones were doing it to me. But, you know. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to... I'm actually the kind northeast. of... The Northeast. The Northeast, dude. Jersey. I'm going to go hang out with Sid in Rhode Island. Are you really? Yeah. Cool. Serious. Well, that'll be a good podcast. Yeah. After uh, Thanksgiving, I'm going to go up there. So, and the the other thing I need to mention is, um, so neatessentials.com, by the way, is what we're talking about, Scott and I. But Spy is uh, in gratitude for the support that they've been giving from our listeners. They're giving Dude, away- it's snowboard season. They're giving away a $500 gift certificate <gasps> to somebody who uses our promo code in this month. So uh, we're going to pick a winner on November 20th. Anybody who uses the promo code podcast to purchase, like you said, snow goggles or sunglasses between November 1st and November 20th will basically be put into the running. And then on the 20th, we're going to pick one name of 
a listener who used that code. And uh, they're going to give you a $500 gift card to be used on spyoptic.com to do all your Christmas shopping. Okay, so the promo code is? Podcast. Podcast. So go do some shopping on spy.com. Buy yourself some shades or goggles. And you'll be in the running to win the $500 gift certificate from Spy. Yep. That's going to be a pretty small pool of people to choose some. I mean, how many people between now and then listen to this and actually go on to Spy? Probably be like 40 dudes that you pull from. And And I don't mean to to, uh, minimize our listening audience, but I mean, that's pretty good odds. And... I'm going to do it. I probably couldn't win. Though. And we're going to do It'd it. would be wrong if I won, right? I don't think you should do it. <laughs> okay, I won't. Well, I mean, you should buy something from them. I will. I'm a big fan of Spy. Um, I'm, but I'm happy right now. They actually are, we're going to do it twice. The whole objective was to like help people with Christmas shopping. So we're going to do, we're going to pull one on November 20th and then another one on December 20th. So there there will be a winner in November and a winner in December. Kill five hundred gift $500 gift card each. That's no small. No, sum. that's, that's so spot. And by the way. Aside from any of that, just we appreciate those brands supporting Scott and I. And uh, so if you like this content, Should definitely we do our them. must-see happy moment right now since we're in spy world? I think so. Okay, so mine is my must-see happy moment brought to you by Spy Optic is the Desert Hilton Billabong Adventure Division drop that they did with Jack Robinson. I'm sure you saw this. I saw a lot of people advertising it. I never clicked play on it. Jack Robinson gets absolutely filthy shacks on these just mega meaty Western Australian, like Northwest desert, 68 foot throaty lefts, just filthy, like filthy waves. The kind of waves where you're like, and in fact, they talk about this. This brings me back to those old Billabong videos where they're just like, we're going to do a purple blob thing. We're going to pick four surfers. Yeah. We're going to go chase a purple blob in Northwest Australia. And we're going to get shacked out of our Naralu and friggin' do a video a- about it with, you know, Dorian and Aki and Gary Green or whoever the hell the it was. Billabong challenge. Yeah, exactly. They just and Rabbit was in charge of it. And yeah. Sonny Garcia was involved in a few of them. Johnny Boy Gomes was there. Right. Rob and Machado. so this kind of brought that whole vibe back. Yeah. And, um, and it was Jack, awesome. Jack was the highlight. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, there was other kids, too. It was kind of like the, the B team from Billabong, Australia. Yeah. And then Dorian was there as the, you know, the sort of coach. Old, yeah. Mentor guy. I actually met Jack Robinson uh, at Arakawa's place. Uh, he was picking up a quiver of boards while I was there. How was that? Super nice kid. The nicest kid. His dad was with him. Have you met his dad? I heard his dad's gnarly. His dad's so gnarly. <laughs> <laughs> I heard he that. He just won't shut up. He's just really? like, he's like hyperactive, like kind of like throwing his hands everywhere. There's kind of some spittle flying as he's talking. He's telling me all these stories. They're just like, uh, I didn't know what he was talking about ever. And he bounced from one story to the next. And I'm just like tripping out. Like, try, you know how you just like nod and say, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Did you and, even understand his Australian no, accent? No, not at all. I, I caught one of every eight words, I would say. Yeah. And that's when I would give my yes, uh-huh, my <laughs> affirmations to him. And uh, But he had zero awareness that I didn't know what he was talking about. It was amazing. So good. <laughs> but then the next morning, I was up early driving down the road, and I saw him out like going for a jog or like a power walk. He was all sweaty listening to his earbuds. I'm like, dang, he's at it early, you know? Yeah. So hilarious though but jack is super super mellow and cool um and yeah i'm just such a big fan of his surf well you should check this out i will uh, the desert hilton billabong adventure division it, you know it's it's 
I mean, like everything, it's a bit of a marketing um, yeah, video, but not really. I mean, it's just hardcore surf action with Billabong all over it, and it's cool. They did a good job. Awesome. I just I want to see Jack surf more than I do, so I'm definitely... I know. It, I mean, that's what I thought, too. When I saw it, I'm like, why? I mean, I just thought about the conversations you and I have. Like, why? If, if you and I were running the WSL, Jack Robinson would be in on the CT. I would just, like, make it happen. I would just go friggin', like like fascist dictator mode and just put him on there and just say tough yeah he's on the ct tough he would and he would thrive on the ct if he doesn't make the ct because the wqs fails him that will be a shame we'd be eating words if he could be one of those guys though that i mean he's competitively savvy right he's tactically and strategically aware or is he just like it's got to be slabbing for him to advance I don't know if he's competitively savvy. He is such a preternatural talent, though, that he gets eights if the yeah. waves are big. Like Sunset, Pipe, Chopu, whatever, any of those spots, he's going to bag two eights. But is he going to go Dane Reynolds? Like, is he going to be like Dane? Like, we just love Dane. And he had moments that were just incredible and top-level competitive surfing. But there was also moments where you're like, oh, it looks like he doesn't really care too much. I Well, talking to his dad and him, they both are very dead set on him qualifying. His okay. dad's tripping. His dad's like, he should have qualified three years ago. Like, I don't know what the heck's happening. Like, so. They, oh, that's interesting. Is there too much pressure on Could him? be. But, the, but sometimes you need that. You need to be sort of like an, you know, like somebody pounding the iron in the fire. You need to kind of be pounded into, can you make it or not? You know, like, is the steel going to be strong enough to, to handle this? Well, and how do you leave? I mean, like, he's in kind of paradise in West Oz, getting great waves all the time. How, do you want to go surf one foot yeah. uh, Brazil or Huntington or Japan or whatever to try to qualify? Yeah. I can see him just showing up in Hawaii finaling at three triple crown events and qualifying that way how far away is he i don't know yeah he does have that sort of what it, what would you call it like for the tahitians have that too like just sort of the tahitian cross that you have to bear that it's just so perfect it's like why would i go anywhere else the paradise plight is what i'm calling all it. right very well done paradise um, plight yeah well the my paradise paradox right totally huh. Well, Scott, what do you got on your notes, dude? Well, I listened to Dorian this morning on the Joe Rogan podcast. Shane I, Dorian. Was, I did too on oh, my good. way down here. Oh. Only the first hour, though. That's all you needed to listen to. Oh, really? I started to get into hunting and... I mean, I'm into all that stuff too, by yeah. the way. I mean, I'm, inter- I'm interested in listening to what they have to say. But here are my takeaways. Let's talk about these. First thing, I did not know that Shane Dorian's father was alcoholic and that he came from a broken family. Yep. That's he was a one-armed bartender. Really? Did yes. they say that? They didn't say that, yeah, but I didn't that think is a fact. So. I would have caught that. Yeah. Is he still a one-armed bartender? I think he passed away. Okay. That's fascinating that yeah. he's one-armed. Yeah. Um, some of the things that Dorian said, one of them, that the Momentum Generation, by the way, they're, they're all sort of doing the PR for the HBO special, the Momentum Generation movie, a documentary about this, you know, what they're considering to be groundbreaking time and in these young surfers' lives, this yeah. Taylor Steele movie, Momentum. And that, by the way, is the feature at the Florida Surf Film Festival this oh. weekend. The, the director's going to be there, and I'm going to interview him to talk about it. Oh, okay. Because it's produced by Robert Redford. Right, I saw they that. They got like, some big money behind it. Yeah. support. Yeah. So he said that the Momentum generation was sort of like a rock band, and that they were great, and everything was good, and then um, they were all best of friends, and then that friendship broke up due to various reasons, either 
maybe it was girls, maybe it was chasing points on the tour, maybe it was brands and sponsorships getting in the way, but the, the friendships all sort of broke up. I haven't seen the movie. I hope to God, if that's the case, that they get into that pretty deeply because that actually interests me. Like, because I, I found myself going, really? I, I thought they were always buddies. Like, I never knew that they weren't buddies. I just thought they did a movie and then went their separate ways. And so I found that to be a bit of a stretch. Like the phrase that, the way that he said that, and you listened to it. Did you catch that? Absolutely Doesn't that seem that. like um, hyperbolic that they were like a rock band and then these things, like, do, do you sense that the momentum generation was like a rock band? Like that they were so tight and that they had to be together for them to succeed. And then they were broken up by these various reasons and then they didn't succeed. Like that's the rock band analogy, you know, like we had it all and then Yoko showed up. Yeah. And I don't sense that they had it all and Yoko showed up. I think the Yoko example is a bit more definitive and like there's a, a flashpoint that happened with Yoko. With I think it was a little bit more nebulous with the momentum generation where they didn't have that level of fame that rock stars have. So it's not as intense in terms of the fame part. But what he did articulate was, look, they're 12 to 18 year olds traveling the world with passports without any parents and supervision. It's a really unique situation to be in. And then you have these eight other guys who are born in different parts of the world, but happen to be living the same thing that you're living. That's where the bond takes place. It's like, even though Kalani robs on the North shore and, Taylor Knox is in San Diego. Once they connect, they're like, oh my gosh, you're doing what I'm doing. There's the bond. I guess so. The bond. When they, but when they split, it's also because they weren't on the same team, anyways. So the division isn't as intense as the rock star thing, where you're actually like on the tour bus eight months out of the year, three meals a day. It's more so we're going back to our own separate homes, anyways. So it's not as strict of a division. But I don't feel, I mean, I haven't seen the film yet. And I don't feel that Shane was saying he was drawing that. Is he analogy. generalizing for Rogan's audience? Do you think yes. to get people yes. to go to the movie? Because I didn't, I didn't sense that they were this core group of guys that hung out night and day for five years straight. Yeah. You know? No, I, I don't think he was making that right that claim. And I don't think that any of the division was like backstabbing. Slept with the same girl. I hate you now. I was going to marry her. Like it wasn't right. that. It was just you are battling for world title points. You know. You're not into it? No, I am into it. I just... I, Are I you going to watch it? Yeah. Yeah, I'll watch too. it. Totally. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. 
linkedin.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's funny. I was, I never, I don't even know if I've seen momentum. I oh, swear really? to God. I swear oh, to God. dude, I was weaned on it. I know. And I'm, I'm like free ride guy. Yeah. And yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I remember at Surfer, like Ross, um, Ross Garrett would be like, momentum, you know, and Evan and all those guys would just be all momentum. And it'd be like, what's the big deal? It's just a surf video, you know? And I, you know, my own contempt prior to investigation. I, well, I'm not sure I've seen momentum. It's funny hearing you talk with Biolis about their early surf films at Lost because those, I mean, I could tell you the sequence of the songs that were going to happen in those films and who did a turn at which drum beat to the, you know, like I knew those films. Okay, well, that. interesting. Let me ask you this. Which films were more influential to you overall? Like the Lost series or the two momentums? It's a great question. I think Taylor Steele's probably were. Why? Because um, you know the soundtrack to the Lost and videos, I know which the, tells me you the watched ta- them more. And No, I know the Taylor Steele ones as well. I know the Taylor Steele ones just as well as the Lost ones. The Lost ones weren't aspirational. <laughs> That, yeah, that was the problem. The lost ones were great to watch. The lost ones made like, you feel a little dirty afterwards. Like, no, it made me feel better about myself. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it was like I do want to watch Randall drop in on the six foot, you know, half pipe, eight foot half blindfolded pipe, with a beer break, in his hand and break his elbow. Literally, right. that's what happened. I know. I want to watch that, but there's I'm not going to build a skate ramp to try to do that. Right. Whereas Kalani Robs Air Reverse in Good Times in the opening section. On the special K board at Rocky Point, I want to do times. that. That's not momentum. That's it after. It was the following, yeah. There's momentum one and momentum two, right? And then focus. Right, but we're just kind of... Isn't this film just about... Well, it's about the momentum generation. So and it's about all those And he films. documented that same group of guys right. through yeah. 10 films, not yeah. just the right. one named Momentum. The branding came from that one film. And I love that Biolis labeled his first surf film Momentum 3. <laughs> so good. <laughs> It's so good. And then, and then they had what's really going on, and they didn't like that one. They're like, it was lame. The filmmaker got away from us, more or less. And then, yeah. so they made the next one, what's really going wrong. Exactly. And that's like their opus. Dude, so I remember what's really going on. Look at that film now. Chris Ward, Corey Lopez surfing the wedge at, I mean, they were 15 years old. Yeah. And and they're surfing wedge, like proper wedge. Not even trying to, I mean, they were backdooring barrels, but they were also just going straight they were going straight, like trying to just do like airdrops down into the flats. Like they were so gnarly. Those films no. were so much more raw. So that's what was kind of like even just everything about them. Like, like you get the sense the editor was like, no, leave that. That's yeah. what happened. Exactly. You know, like let's not make it, you know, too glossy here. Taylor's were like polished, edited, and you're right. The lost films were just 
not as micromanaged. You know? Keep the wipeouts. Keep them paddling into a wave and missing the wave. You know, stuff like that. So Dorian also said on the Rogan podcast that he gets uncomfortable when people ask him what he does for a living. That he surfs for a living, which sort of goes back to what you and I mm-hmm. were speaking about for the past two weeks. No, by the way, I spoke in depth about this on the Surf Mastery podcast, which Michael um, uh, Frampton does. Michael Frampton does the surf. Are you looking at me going, Bass has got dementia? I was hoping that you didn't remember his name. I was like, dude, if Scott forgets the guy's name, it's going to be the best. <laughs> well, no, it's nobody's fault but my own. Um, Michael Frampton, yeah. Surf Mastery podcast. If you want to listen to us go in depth about that. But anyway, your thoughts on Dorian being uncomfortable when people ask him what he does for a living. What do you think about that? It's interesting. Um, I understand where he's coming from. I guess there's just a lot of, there's lots of explaining to do, you know, to like somebody who doesn't know about surfing to try to explain. Yeah, I have the same thing. My grandpa lives in Colorado. He doesn't understand or can't even imagine how anybody makes a living at surfing. Forget about pro surfers. What about board builders? Like, so going through the explanation of like, well, there's also the internet and this person's profile is built on how many Instagram followers they have. Their sponsor pays them incentives. But, you know, like that is such a lengthy explanation. So do you think there's any embarrassment about it or is it more that? It's more just like having to go through. And what about with you? Is there any embarrassment with you? No. I don't. Feel you don't really make your living that way, though. And I don't think Dorian did. It seem to you no. that he was embarrassed to no. be a pro surfer. No, it didn't. No, I don't. No, think it was more just he's hanging out with people who work real jobs and like trying to explain. There might be a little bit of embarrassment about how easy he has it yeah. relative to others. I yeah. put on board shorts and I go surfing yeah. and do a recreational activity. Yeah, like and you feel kind of like a dick for like rubbing it in people's noses. For or, somebody who's been grinding yeah. it out in front of a computer for 30 years, there's yeah. a little bit of like, I don't want to rub your face in it, but... So one of the coolest things I think you'll agree was when he talked about what a shit talker he was. Shane Dorian was a shit talker as a young I surfer. I that story. And he talks about a heat with Damian Hardman where... Um, Damien was just hassling him. Damien had priority, and Damien Hardman was just basically not letting Shane Dorian catch a wave. And Dorian was freaking out and going, Hardman, you surf like a little girl. You surf like a bitch. And just screaming at Damien Hardman for paddle hassling him. Yeah. And Damien Hardman saying, hey, that's my goal when I'm in heats is to get you that emotional that you just blow it, that you don't. And it worked. Yeah. Damien won. Damien's always been known as this sort of tactician. Damien won. And then Damien even approached Shane afterwards and said, hey, I love your passion. That was awesome that you were that fired up. But the reality is he broke Shane. And and Joe goes into um, metaphor or analogy with the fight game. And it's like, yeah, in fighting, you fight at your best when you are fully lucid and calm and just all of your training is like taking over and you're not overthinking anything. And so if you can go in there and rattle somebody and get them off of their flow state, then you can beat them, you know? You can impose your will. By the way, I I uh, had lunch with Eric Logan from no the WSL. way. Yeah, and Good it was great. You. It was awesome. And I'm not going to go into it because he and I agreed that, that we were going to keep it professional. I'm not going to go into depth. But the reason I bring it up is I think Damien Hardman is a. I think there's a whole space of time from like, basically, from 
maybe as far as 2000 back to the 70s where there's a million great stories that can be excavated and told now short little clips of drama about the about pro surfing and i think damien hardman is a great example i think he would be a story that i would put in my top five of stories that that could be highlighted. I mean, there's a ton of people who have no idea who Damien Hardman even is. Right. And he was, I think, two or three-time world champion. I know at least two world titles. And he did it through this real sort of blue collar, bringing my pay. He's kind of like the Adriano before Very Adriano. And, and and he had some moments. There were some tactics that he, that he did. And I know you're aware of the one where he spun around underwater and caught a whitewater wave to eliminate, I think, Tom Carroll, I want to say. I forget exactly who, but he, he, he was... Um, he was just like the ultimate tactician. And I think that would be a cool story for the WSL to, to focus on. It's not sexy. You know what I mean? That's like, okay. I mean, you can make it. Like, that's up to, like, we can make anything sexy. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I, do you mean it's not appealing as an end user? Like, you're like, that's a boring story? No, I'm not. I think that you're correct. The story is very interesting and it's worth excavating. What I'm saying is, uh, in terms of legacy, it's not the legacy that I would want to have. You know what I mean? Like, it's well, not sexy in that way. Like, Adriano, I, and I, I've actually made this comparison years ago with Adriano. I think when he won his world title, it, I made that comparison to Damian Hardman where I was just like, I don't know. I, Taj Burrow never won a world title, but he's such a badass and such a rad surfer that his legacy will almost, his shadow will extend longer than Adriano's because of the legacy that he left. And so if you have to do, you know, a bunch of whitewash banks to win the world title, but it's going to, I don't know, leave a stain on your kind of the way that people reflect. Well, on I wouldn't you. I don't want know. to, I wouldn't produce it to leave a stain. I would produce it to tell the story. It, it is no, what it is. And you would, obviously, you wouldn't want to, um, you know, you know, defame or do anything yeah. with any sort of negative intent on Damien Hardman's legacy. I think is look, I think two world titles, first of all, I bet you or I have no idea how he won those world titles. Like Damien Hardman won pipe. Did he? I don't know. Let's find out. I mean I think there's ways that you could make his story and I think he did win pipe. We should look <laughs> we should look that up. <laughs> but I think there's ways you can make his story so that you and I are like, oh he's not just blue collar guy. He actually did do those rather radical tac tactical and strategic moves that maybe some people raised an eyebrow at. But he also, you know, first of all, I've been on surf trips with Damien Hardman. And the guy's an insane surfer. I mean, obviously, you have to be to be a world title, a world champion. But, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that you could highlight. Like, look, not only was he sort of like a cutthroat competitive surfer, but this guy was an incredible free surfer. And you could bring I, that stuff up. I, In other words, you could make you completely. could do you could help to highlight his legacy more than the one that you and I sort of have encapsulated in just that he's the blue collar guy that out tactic you know, that out strategized people. I, I um am, I agree with you completely. The WSL should or somebody should definitely do those stories. And I'm not suggesting that the legacy um what I was saying is reflected in those. I just think at, for Adriano, I'm thinking more for like modern guys on tour. If they're trying to decide whether to be the tactician in a heat or be the most beautiful surfer in the heat and the best surfer in the heat, focus on being the best surfer in the heat, not on the tactics. That's what I'm Well, that's part of it. I mean, yeah. look, I, my thing is, look, if you're going to put on a jersey, you do whatever's within the rules to win. But there's people, I mean, like, 
I can agree with you when it's a competition. I can agree. You're not with, out there to be cool. You're out there to win. Yeah, but you're not out there to get friends. You're out there to win. But best uh, quality surfing should trump all. So well, I agree. I mean, everyone agrees with that. That and that will trump all. But but there are guys that you see on tour who show up and try to just tactically win, and I feel like that lowers the bar for everybody, for the viewers, for all the other surfers on tour. It's like, all right, now you're just. You're just trying to win on a technicality, and it's preventing. The, yeah, but the how many times does that work? I don't think anyone goes out into the water trying to do that. I think, I think that years, there's with a number three minutes, well, with three minutes left in a heat, and you're, and you don't have the scores you need, and you have priority, and you can pull a tactic on a guy that, yeah, maybe it's lo- maybe it's not cool, maybe it's douchey or whatever, but aren't you getting paid to win this heat? Like, so, don't you have a responsibility to win this heat? So Zeke Lau and John John Florence at Bell's Beach this year, where it eliminated the highest quality surfing in that heat by Zeke being the tactician and, you know, um, paddling circles around John John. But I will argue against myself by saying, while it diminished the best surfing in that heat, it actually probably elevates everybody on the long term. Next time those guys link up, in a, it's going to be a bloodbath those guys are going to be going all out trying to outsurf one another i think john john is going to be much less of prey to anybody else he's going to be a much more competitive tactical guy that is going to be interesting to see that is yet to be determined because i could see john john i don't think he's ever been challenged i don't think he has either He's always won on freakish ability. Yeah, and now he's sort of forced bowed down to him. Yeah, he's, now he's forced to kind of be the tactical. So will player. he raise his mental game so that he's like, bring it? I think he will. We're gonna find out at pipe. Damien Hardman won the World Tour in eighty-seven, eighty-eight, and in ninety-one. So eighty-seven, eighty-eight. That must have been the year that they started it, or they ended it in Australia. He made two pipe finals, but I don't think he won pipe. Hmm. Um, well I so I did really enjoy the Shane Dorian thing by the way I thought it's cool that Rogan and Shane are buddies they actually go on hunting trips together and I think that was reflected in the interview there was just a lot of like casual banter which I always enjoy you know yeah I, I, dug, I dig the Rogan thing I've got a few more things from it sure if you don't mind um Dorian has lost all of his competitive drive. He does not care at all about competing. He said some cool stuff like, I don't know how you can fall out of love with surfing. I don't think Rogan was getting it. You know, I don't think it's kind of one of those like only a surfer knows the feeling thing. You can't really explain it. But Rogan was talking about MMA guys who, after they put so much blood, sweat, and tears in for years, once it's over, they're like, fuck, I'll never do that again. I don't even want to touch the mat or work out. Whereas you and I are like, are you kidding? I'll be surfing till I'm dead mm-hmm. you know um and then the other important thing he's talked about was how hard surfing is and i think this is something that a lot of us that started surfing when we were kids take for granted but when you see a 30 year old try to learn how to surf they might get all of the like the sort of nuts and bolts of how to stand properly and all that stuff but they still look like kooks yeah like they still have no style and i think that style comes from learning as a kid And a big part of it, I think, comes from riding a skateboard. I think because what skateboarding does is it gives you a lot of time on a board to 
after you've seen Tom Curran over and over in the videos, you go out to the yard to your uh, street and you emulate hand positioning and hand placement and body positioning so that you can em emulate the style that you love so much. And in, at least in my case, not that I've emulated Tom Curran, but <laughs> let me back. But you know what I mean? I think skateboarding is a big part of that. It's interesting. Uh, how do you feel seeing photos of yourself or video of yourself factor in? Do they? Now? At any point in your surf evolution. Um, because you feel like you're shredding at times or like you did an amazing turn. Yeah. And then when you see the image of that, it's always a letdown, of course. But I think that there is room to improve based on that as well, of course. Yeah. And do you think photos have been helpful or? Photos? Um, I don't know if they've been helpful. I don't know if I've looked at a photo. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go do this differently. You know, I've, you know what I mean? Like I've got to change a little bit. I've never, I've never purposely tried to get better at surfing like I and I don't mean to sound like a dick or a jerk but what I'm getting at is I've never thought to myself hey today I'm going to go do this so that I do it better right you know that so that I am I've always I'm always about improving and stuff but I've never looked at imagery and I've never thought about I've always looked at surfing like it's fun let's just go it's fun which is the point that fun. Shane made which was like he goes look the surfer who is a kook not the kook, but the surfer who's a novice or a beginner is having just as much fun as I am. He's like, the I would like to be the best surfer in the world, but the best surfer in the world isn't having more fun than I am, basically. Um, so I thought that that was actually pretty poignant. Yeah, I think his exact quote was, I don't have more fun than the guy who surfs half as good as I as exactly. me. Yeah, that was cool. They talked about Joel Tudor a little bit. I know, that was funny. Um, Stony about Baloney, hippie guy, was sort of how Dorian characterized him. Yeah. But they also gave him massive kudos for his ability to grapple and to be a jiu-jitsu Well, that's player. how it came up. Joe Rogan knew who Joel Tudor was because of his uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu accomplishments. And they talked about the similarities between Joe jiu-jitsu and surfing. And yeah. that, you know, your ability to adjust your body and change things down the line. In other words, you're reacting to the future much like you are in surfing. You're reacting to the future to something you're not sure is going to happen, but you're making those adjustments assuming it is going to happen yeah anyway. well we're not in the kook portion of the show yet but joe rogan is also my kook of the week huh. for his kelly slater interview i know that wasn't such I, a letdown that was a letdown i got emails i'm sure you did too i got emails i think aj our friend aj sent me an email that basically said it looked like kelly at the end of the video or at the end of the podcast was um like crowbarring sponsor uh um Plugs, crowbarring plugs. Yeah, he was. About Outer Known and about what else was he plugging? Probably Momentum. No, it wasn't that blatant. It was like a flat earther t shirt that he was wearing. It wasn't like go to outerknown.com or anything like uh -huh. that. It was just about, um, it was a flat earther t shirt. And then his buddy who lives in Malibu who has a health food store that mm -hmm. I guess Joe Rogan shops at too. He crowbarred some of that info in. <gasps> But to Joe, Joe was rushing him off. That's what that's what I got. Yeah. That Joe Rogan was like, this is like maybe he was bored or tired or hungry, but he was like, let's end this thing. And Slater was like, no, let's keep going. He was Not, over it. Yeah, Joe was over it. Joe was over it. Totally. He's like, all right, well, good seeing you. And then Slater would soliloquy for thirty minutes or whatever. Slater Slater goes, oh, but I wanted to ask you a question. You know, you've had a lot of interesting people on this show. Like, what have you learned? Or something. Slater had like a good, interesting question. Yeah. And Joe like never engaged in it. So the reason why Joe is my kook is uh, 
he didn't seem to care or want to know anything about Kelly Slater. Period. Yeah. You know? And with Shane Dorian, he asked him, like, what is it like to be dropping into that wave at Jaws? Or, like, he asked him questions and he let Shane talk about what it's like to be a surfer and to chase big waves. Joe never asked Kelly one question about Kelly. I mean, I think he asked him about his foot injury at some point, and they talked about that. But other than that, it was just name dropping and talking about MMA, you know? You know, it's funny. Sometimes I I wonder if they talked way too long before they turned on the microphone. Could be. And I also sense that Joe has way more similar interests with Dorian. Yes. Like they get along. Like they're seriously like friends. Well, they're hunt. They hunt. Together. That's what I mean. Yeah. Um, like they have interests that are so deep, and they probably hung for so long together that that it's way easier to just sit down and turn on the mics and start rapping. You know. But he doesn't. Joe isn't friends with let let's say Neil deGrasse Tyson or these other people yeah, those, that he has on the show. One, yeah. And he has those people on all the time, and he listens to them, and he asks questions. I think Joe records a lot of podcasts every week. And by the way, they're three-hour-long podcasts, which is even weirder that he was trying to kick Kelly out after 80 minutes, you know. But when you're recording that much, I don't think he's prepping for really any of it. No. I think he's just freestyling most yeah. of it. And he was, I think he had a long day, the day with Kelly, and he was ready to go home. I think so. Like you said, he was hungry or something. Yeah. It was sober October, so he wasn't using his normal vices to get through the day. You know, <laughs> He was like, he was just like over it. And yeah. it was a bummer for me. I think Kelly, um, it was to no fault of Kelly's own. I, Kelly tried to engage in conversation. Yeah. And he just kept getting thwarted by uh, Joe not listening. So Joe Rogan. My kook of the week for the Kelly interview, but redeemed himself with Shane Dorian. <laughs> what else? I didn't mean to go straight into the kook, no. but who do you got? Uh, or what else do you got on your notes? Um, I've I got... Go ahead. I know, you had, I know you want to talk about surf lakes. I do have surf lakes. I'm just going to sit in silence because I am still enforcing my moratorium on wave pools. Surf lakes flips on. I'm just going to list... I grabbed these from Stab, by the way, which I thought they were good. What were? The, what's the? You're going to hear them. Like, below the most interesting facts and fables we discovered while visiting Yapoon. Got it. The Yapoon. People have corrected us on this because we have discussed Yapin, Yapoon, Yapin, Yapin Mat. Yeah, I forget. Yapoon Mat. I forget. The rumored cost of creating the Surf Lakes pool site was ten million Australian dollars. That makes sense to me. Yeah. According to Surf Lakes, the average energy cost of 10 waves at their pool is similar to one wave at Slater's, rumored to be $15 a piece. The pool is 33 feet at its deepest point and holds 80 megaliters of clear chlorinated water. Aki allegedly fell on his very first wave in the pool, as did Kelly Slater's first wave at his wave pool. A lot of pressure. The biggest wave they made, the one that Parco took off on a slab, was only utilizing half of the machine's potential output. Surf Lake's projected six-wave sets have not yet been created. Three consecutive waves have been the max. Investors in the 40-odd countries have apparently shown interest Investors in 40-odd countries have apparently shown interest in purchasing a surf lakes pool. What does that mean? Yeah, I'm sort of interested. 
<laughs> Give me a call. <laughs> the plunger's handle completely broke on Stab's last day there. Oh, no. It will be a couple of months before it's fixed. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. That's huge. When they take the necessary time and precautions to get this thing working right, it's going to be psycho, mate. So those are the bullet points from Stab's thing. And we both saw the waves. Everyone in the world saw the waves and the technology. And it's just so friggin' Australian. You know, it's so Mad Max. It's incredibly Mad Max. Like that steampunk thing yeah. that pushes out exhaust is just it looks fascinating like i hope they don't lose that that thing's epic it but it it really really crystallizes the opposite of the ocean you know like when you think of wave pools are coming and everybody's like the sky is falling this is the end of surfing well then that imagery with it is perfect that is the end of surfing it looks apocalyptic it does as opposed to kelly's which has an elegance to it you know like there's a beauty there's a well there's beauty at the other place too but no, i don't mean the the surrounding i just mean no it looks industrial kelly's no oh the, the yeah new the, one. Yeah. yeah it looks Surprise. like something from 1915 in new jersey or in like birmingham england or something it does it looks like industrial revolution power or uh internal combustion engine yeah. kind of mechanics just like choo. With a big burst of energy. And some guy with a top hat like yeah. Andrew Carnegie is like just like chewing a cigar in the back room. Just, exactly. Just rubbing his hands like Claw Warbrick. Just like, ah, we're going to make a lot of money here, right? And it's like if you have, let's say, Tahitian Reef Pass, crystal blue water of like harmonious nature at its finest, this is the antithesis of that. This is like... A man-made creation of machinery and using a bunch of resource and energy to <laughs> create this thing that's a lesser version of what we already have in the ocean. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's what it felt it like. Does. To me. No, it does. I mean, you can especially with Aki running around. <laughs> Aki's like a character out of Mad Max. You know what I mean? Like you could shave his head or give him a mullet or a mohawk or something and put some eye. Some like eye black on him and, and like some an tall skin board shorts. Yeah, you know? and like beads hanging off his hair and stuff, and he would just be the, the crazy character in Mad Max. Totally. Mel Gibson's sidekick. Yeah. <laughs> well, I intentionally did not study up on Surf Lakes and I um, but I'm glad that you provided some of that information. Nick Carroll wrote something interesting. That I want you to read, that I'm going to read to you, and you can comment on it if you will. This is Nick Ter Carroll, uh, an article he wrote on Surfline about Gabe Medina's lack of a rival. And I'm paraphrasing. Lack I of a rival? Lack of a rival. Lack of a foe. And I grabbed the last couple paragraphs because you're going to get the gist of it. Okay. He said, Nick Carroll says, I don't know, maybe the WSL tour culture has changed so much now that it's impossible for two surfers to go at it for reals to seize the imaginations of all concerned and redefine the game the way it was redefined by the great knockdown drag out rivalries of the past. Once, not so long ago, the surfers were the rogue element capable at any moment of turning on the organization and forcing any issue they choose. Today, for the first time in pro surfing history, it feels as if the organization is bigger than the surfers. That's a great sentence. If you've really wrapped your head around that, I'm going to read it again. For the first time in pro surfing history, it feels as if the organization is bigger than the surfers. I think that's fascinating. 
I've never, it could be. I've never, I do know this. I've never in the past, I've always had the surfers as the most important part of this. I've never felt like the surfers were overshadowed by the admin or the bigger thing. And, yeah. and, I, and I can see that now. I think there's something well, to that. There's Let me finish and then, or no, go ahead. Often there's been one surfer who's just so dominant and now there isn't. You know, I think that that energy and that, um, I don't know, uh, profile is dispersed amongst five surfers That's a good now. point. Because Kelly point. was so dominant right. for so long. But he could say anything and they'd go, okay, we'll go do that. Yeah, yeah. And he, he was more powerful than the organization. Absolutely. Like more people knew who Kelly Slater was than what the ASP was. Right. And so, and that probably could be applied to Tom Curran in his day, Mark Richards in his day. And now we're at a Certainly point. Certainly Andy. Now we're at a point where that's everything's vanilla. Deferred among right. five guys, nobody's. Yeah. yeah. So go ahead. The WSL has never seen a rivalry of the dimensions of MR versus Shane, Rabbit versus Sean, Ian versus whomever, Tom Curran, Tom Carroll, and Aki, Potts and Gerlock, Kong in the USA, Kelly and the old guys, Sonny and everybody, Kelly and Beshin. Kelly and Andy, Dane and Jordy. That one's weird. That was more, that wasn't, um, that was for sponsor dollars. They both New, were going for big contracts at 18. And New school versus Cooley kids. After Andy died, it all kind of went south. There were flashes, but nothing sustained. It was like everyone suddenly became afraid of that level of raw competition. Or not afraid, but uncertain. Without that, the WSL can keep resetting the stage the way they have. Promote the Wave Ranch, raise women's prize money, get Pipe back on the right side of things, survey its viewership, deal with Facebook, run Jeep ads and Airbnb experiences. It's all good. None of it is sport. Sport is when two or more people want to gut each other like hogs and say so and bend all their will and skill to it and everybody watching freaks out and the powers that be just shrivel into the background where they belong these moments are why professional sport exists i love that and of course you and i more me than you has been saying that for a long time shane said it too rivalries shane who uh, dorian. shane dorian yeah. on rogan said it's not a sport oh well i'm saying that no I rivalries know. are crucial yeah i know for it to be a sport, you have to have it. Yeah. You can't market. I mean, every good sport has it. So anyway, didn't you like that? I thought that was really well done. I do like it. Um, gosh. I guess what I, my thought is, is um, there's a middle ground. Like, I think that there's a way for the WSL to be successful and to harness those things. And there's a way for those rivalries to uh, be as raw as they were with Andy and Kelly. You know, I don't think... It needs to go full vanilla for it to be profitable. I think the bigger question is why did it occur then and why isn't it occurring now? And is Whoa. is it because there is some subconscious concern that that if I act on my emotions as a pro surfer in this sport, it's going to come back to haunt me from a dollars and cents yes. standpoint. That's from, exactly what it is. Right. So it's now it's there's vanilla. now there's actual money involved. There's big moneyed interests involved. Big brands, companies invested into these individual athletes, and you got to toe the company line. Yeah, but the period. irony is, I know the irony I is know. if you 
go Sonny or go Bobby Martinez, it's going to help everybody. The, we, we talked earlier about Damian Hardman. Yeah. Why? Because of his this crazy tactic that he pulled. Yeah. You know, like that was exciting. That was that's he was creating sport. That has been the exact conundrum that we've been discussing for years and years, which is you need exactly what kind of the WSL and big brands are um, trying to cater to Middle America and all that. They're abandoning what is the core of surfing by not holding the event because it's too sharky is abandoning the core of surfing. No, no, no. Go make them surf with sharks. That will actually get more viewership yeah. than anything else. More sharks. But you need an Elon Musk type figure at David. the controls. At the I'm going to suggest David Lee Scales at the pulling con- all the triggers. At the controls right. to smoke a blunt with Joe Rogan on the podcast and go, investors be damned. Exactly. I'm a. This is what I'm going to do. I'm a futurist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think if there's not that person at the controls, everything becomes... Um, middle cutter or yeah you just become oracle and uh whatever big 3m and like whatever these big three companies are that pander to the broadest audience provide the most products or they're really they're paranoid about their stock exactly stockholders yeah exactly shareholders so i was i mean you can't uh, yeah i don't know i don't want to get i would suggest that gabe does have a rival and and i think it's julian wilson I think Gabe and I Julian, can see that. I think it would behoove the WSL to sit those two guys down in a room and go, look, like it or not, you're a fucking rivalry. Excuse my French. But that's how I, I would be that stern about it. I don't we see need a rivalry. I'm not trying to make one. I'm, this is an organic rivalry. Nick Carroll, earlier in his piece, brings up the fact that the time that, that Gabe cried on camera when he lost the world title was because of a heat with Julian. It was a final in Portugal, I think. Right. Yeah. And Julian needed a score. At the last minute, he got barreled and did like a little turn and got the 6-5 or whatever it was. Right. And these Gabe moments, was crying on stage. Right. For the and so these moments yeah. are moments that we need to excavate and highlight and bring up. And we need a friggin' rivalry. Like if I was in the boardroom, I'd be, I'd be telling everybody. Yeah. If we don't have a rivalry, we don't have a sport. You Name know, me a good sport that doesn't have a rivalry. I can't. Thank you. So you know what I would love or what we should be waiting for? We talk about surfer on surfer crime. When is the Brazilian storm going to start infighting? <laughs> I don't they've, know. It's so funny. They've, they've unified enough to kind of get to the level they're at. Right. But if you look at history, it's right. only a matter of time. It's like the Mongols. I've been listening to Dan Carlin's Hardcore History like through the roof. So I've downloaded Wrath of Khans, which is this incredible 18-hour journey through Mongolia and Genghis and the whole thing. It's mind-blowing. By the way, I better not go down this rabbit hole because it's not really surf-specific. We'll talk about it later. So when does the infighting start? When does the infighting start? When does Gabriel breed resentment well, against Idolo? Inf- exactly. That's actually, a, I think, a rivalry that's, that could... could could, uh, Gabriel's like, dude, I was, up. I'm the goofy footer here. I'm the one who started, you know, who broke down bear. I guess he wasn't really like Adriano and Neko before him and whatever before him. But really, Gabriel's like the guy who showed up in sheer dominance. Well, what? Yeah, that's what Brazilians needed. Like they could, they weren't good enough to just go out and be as good as they had to be way better than for everyone to go. Oh, fuck. They're finally here. So 
Excuse my Jad's, Jad's, I, I need to apologize to the listeners that have kids in the car. <laughs> Jadson shows three dollars in the curse jar right now. Jadson shows up and does a bunch of air reverses, and that makes everybody's head turns. But they go, "Now you got to get barreled, or now you got to do big turns." Well, then Felipe shows up, uh, or Miguel shows up and gets barreled, and they're like, "Well, that's great that you have barrels, but you need to now do big turns or do airs or whatever." Gabriel shows up and he's all of it in in one. He's everything and the idolos gabe 2.0 he really is but with a smile and he's like a super cool guy so that's a rivalry that i think and so the question is it needs the sooner it couldn't come quick enough the infighting with the brazilians as far as the sports concerned as far as the fan base is concerned couldn't happen quick enough next year Brazilians. How about pipeline like let's let's like the drama in hawaii hasn't even begun let's let it start um so John John and Kelly are making their return at Pipeline. They're, I saw they're that. They're both surfing. How do I you have feel? them both on my team. Do you? <laughs> yeah. Do you feel good about them both? I mean, you'd be a fool not to put Kelly and John John on your pipe teams. Even maybe they have some rust. Pipe has a way of taking the rust off. I also think John John, I could see him just straight out winning it. He's never won a Pipe Masters. He's like... That would be sick. I could see him just showing up with so much energy. Do you have any sense about where he's at with his surfing? Has he been like off the map, like, you know, doing some like sail around the world or something? Like, has he been in the water? Is he prime? Is he like I fired don't. up or is he. It feels like you haven't seen him, is my point. Like, he, haven't, he hasn't really been out there. Yeah, I don't have any insight into any of that. I don't think that he would show up unprepared. Right. Well, what about the world title b- breakdown? Like, it's still early. I mean, December 7th or 8th, right around then is when Pipe usually starts. Um, do you we've got a, a month. Yeah, I don't even know what the rundown looks like. Well, like I do. Gabe, to Gabe's do in first with 56,000 points. The other two guys that I think have, the only two guys are Julian and Felipe. They have 51,000 points. So there's a 5,000-point differential. So you get the feeling that Julian or Felipe could win it, but Gabe's going to have to like bow out in like round four or something. You don't know the breakdown? I though. don't. But I well, have it here. What interests me even more actually for this podcast is who's below 20 that's on the bubble of not qualifying oh because that's where the Haleiwa event and the Sunset World Cup makes sense. right? For, so the, I'm surprised that Griff is 20, 20th. Yeah, that is shocking. Doesn't that, don't you think he would be, like, wasn't he doing great this year? And all of a sudden he's 20? Uh, Griffin Colapinto. I think he's always been kind of lingering right around that I number. thought he, like, had some killer year where he was, like, always Started in the semis. Off strong. Yeah. Started off strong. By the way, pipe starts December 8th. So, so the bottom that, 20, the really. Bottom, the bottom 10, 10. is relative to what we're talking Griff, about. Griff, Frederico, Iago, Joan Deru, Matt Wilco, Thomas Hermes, Connor, Pat G, Joel P., Jesse M, Ian G, M Feb. Those guys are on the bubble, right? More or less. I mean, some of them may have requalified already through the QS. I could see three of those guys requalifying through the QS or through yeah, the pipe yeah. event. I could see uh, Griffin and Frederico being on tour next year, and maybe Wilco. Right. Maybe Connor. I mean, Jean Derue does good in Hawaii, so he could requalify through what you're talking about. Um, Who on here do you not want to see next year on tour? Oh man, I don't. I hate to even play that game. It's mean. Michael February, <laughs> Ian Govea, um, Joel Parkinson already announced his retirement, so he's not coming back. Jesse Mendez, I don't need to see necessarily. Um, Tomas Hermes, I don't need to see necessarily. I'd love to see Yago Dora actually be Yago Dora on tour. Like he has a lot of 
pizzazz and potential. He just never fully excavated it. He's just like the Brazilian Craig Anderson. I'd, I'd love to see Connor do well. I would love to see Wilco do well, but they just don't, you know? I just think they're so limited. You think so? Connor, does Connor do air? No. Connor's game is out on the face doing massive gags. I like having him there, but it's like Michelle does that and Wade Carmichael does that and probably other guys too. I just don't. I just don't see. I only want to see guys on tour who could actually win the thing, and that's why I think there needs to be sixteen people. It needs to be cut down to sixteen people. There's way too many guys on tour. Yeah. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. Um, Oh, by the way, that's going to help with rivalries. If we trim it down to sixteen guys, it's going to be way better for rivalries. Yeah. Um. My must-see happy moment, by the way, Scott. Did you see Chippa Wilson's edit? I don't think I did. It's about a week and a half old. Chippa Wilson, 11-minute edit for his um, traction company that he co-founded. It's called Octopus. The Octopus is Real is what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) The Octopus is Real is the name of his traction company? Yeah. But they just call it Octopus for short? Yeah. So it's really just called Octopus. It's better to call it The Octopus is Real. It's a better name. I don't know. Am I even correct about this? I think I am. Uh, I remember that's what it was when they first came out. What kind of traction do you have? The octopus is real. What about you? I've got Astrodeck. There's no the. It's just octopus is real. That's what it is. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, it's called video number four. It's the Chippa Wilson video. I'm not kidding, Scott. This was my vote, by the way, for the Florida Surf Film Festival as the best film. It is... Did you want to give that away? Unreal. I don't mind giving it away. It's unreal. It is... How long is it? Is it porn? Is it surf porn? Surf porn. 11 minutes long, which you might think is long, except every single clip makes you want to watch the next clip. Like, for 11 minutes straight, I was glued to the scene going, holy crap. And I've never been a Chippa fan. And everybody, a lot of people are like, Chippa's the best aerialist. And I'm like, nah, I don't know. He's like very techie. And I'm not really into like the tech thing, but it's freaking rad. He goes, he does the most giant straight airs, like big barrel. Hands free? Yes. Hands free, but he does tons of grabs as no, well. No, but I mean the straight airs are hands free. Like those are the hardest. He aren't does they? these super straight ones at a well overhead left in Indo where there's like chatter on the face and he's going full speed and just launches straight up in the air and like tries to land straight on the face. It's gnarly. It's really, really gnarly. That sounds cool. It's super cool. It's a great vid, and he gets big barrels. Like, I am a Chippa fan after this. So Okay, must be happy moment. Chippa Wilson's at it. What's it called? The number four. four, Video number four. Video number four. Um, What are the... You mentioned the film festival, the Florida Film Festival. You're going tomorrow or whatever. What are the categories? Surf porn and what else? Spe- uh, documentary and is surf porn limited like do you hope they come in at four minutes or is it unlimited like they can be long form or short what's form what's the question the question is how long is there a there short form there is no length. limit there's no limit they don't put a length on it you said are you hoping so I because I, I would be hoping to me four minutes is plenty of surf porn that's, per, what, I, that's what I thought and I would in general that's kind of how I feel yeah me except too except this 11 minute come this and like when Dane's done it, Dane's done the eight to 10 yeah, minute thing true. and you watch it and you love it. I guess it, it all depends on if you're bummed it when it's over or if right. you're with a chip of one, I was like, they could have actually broke this into three, three minute segments or whatever. And then done like one a week if they wanted to. But I, I was fine with the 11 minute one. Mm. 
Uh, cool. I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, it's really spectacularly good. Um, My kook of the week is uh, today's election day. Mm-hmm. So if you don't vote today, then I think you're a kook. Yep. I think that is a very... Uh, apropos. Apropos, but also like very arguable point. Yeah, There's well, you, couldn't, argue you can't argue against it. Exactly. Um, well, my kook was Rogan, of course. My Duke, WSL, believe it or not. Duke, WSL. You know why? Why? For posting um, a video of Dane Reynolds with the caption, Dane Shreds. <laughs> did you see Dane did an interview with Monster Children I heard about, about this. things that he hates? Yeah. And one of the things he hates is the WSL's Instagram. He goes, look, the WSL's Instagram is just pandering down to low. They're just reposting. For anybody who has any general interest in surfing, they'll post a video of somebody SUPing because they just want people to, they want more followers. It's pathetic, basically. Like, yeah. it should be about high performance surfing, like who's winning world titles. And they're not. They're posting like super stupid, random stuff. I hate the WSL's Instagram. The very next day, WSL posted a video of Dane saying Dane shreds. <laughs> <laughs> That's so I, clever. I appreciated it. I saw it. I was like, oh, this isn't random. This isn't just like, oh, they had. In their social media schedule, they were planning to post a Dane video. They weren't. Yeah. Dane slung mud, and they go, let's kill him with kindness. Let, yeah. Because Dane does shred. Let's post a video of Dane shredding just as a little fun banter. So WSL, Duke of the Week. Cool. Well, um, how did they get a hold of you? Hello at surfsplendor.com. No, surfsplendorpodcast.com. Yep. Hello at surfsplendorpodcast.com. That works. Um, there's also a comment section on spitpodcast.com. So oh, good. Leave comments about the... How do we do on that? Do we get a lot of comments or no? Um, not yes, relative. we to... get comments. <laughs> <laughs> One or two if you're not chiming. Well, here's the problem. How do you not know? If our listeners are chiming in, you should be create a Discus account and chime in. I agree. You know, we get, you know where we do get comments? On our I'm spit, cutting this part out of the show. <laughs> Spit Podcast Instagram account. Go follow us. Um, David, for whatever reason, David, explain why it is that you don't want to engage with the listeners on our Instagram account. Um, I engage with all listeners who on our reach Instagram. out to me. On our Instagram. Whose Instagram? Spit Podcast. It's right here. It says, Scott Bass and David Scales talk about all things surf. I don't know who's even running that. That's I a run, hijacked account. I run this account. I don't see a blue checkmark And you can be a part of it. Does it need a checkmark? To verify that it's a legit account? Yeah. Well, I say, fuck you, Jack. <laughs> Who's Jack? Jack runs Twitter. Oh, right. Instagram, different thing. <laughs> okay. Wow. And you're the guy running the account. That is exactly no, my wait. point. There is a check mark next to it. Right there, pal. Spit podcast. The check mark. I'm Verify. Here's, here's what Why is it that you, seriously, like, why won't you engage? Because people want to talk with you on there. They, and they you talk want... to me all the time. I talk to no, them on the every Spit day. Podcast. Here's what's funny. Spit Podcast Instagram. Here's my concern. Yeah. If we're gonna have a real talk about it, okay. is that um, okay, Dad? It's not properly. <laughs> this is where I get dressed down. This is so wrong. You just asked for the dressing. You I, asked for it. No, I okay. Go ahead. You Dress me to... down for how shitty I am at doing the Instagram. Um, go ahead. It should be a. No, I'm not gonna do it. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's I like. Come on, it. I'm I not afraid. It. I love it. Don't it's lie. Awesome. Oh my god, he's placating me. Um, it just, sh- just it be should, honest. It should be. It should reflect the things that we talk about on the show, right? Okay, What what's wrong with it right now? 
Well, after we had this conversation last time, yeah. the very next image you post is a blurry, a blurry image of a surfer walking into the water. Random surfer, not even identified. I don't think we even talked about Why that. Why do you surfer. have to identify them? I'm just saying, if you're going to promote the show, it should be about yeah. things that we discussed. This image is about the concept of, do you identify as a surfer? A guy walking lonely in the water, ankle deep. Don't you get it? Like, aren't you deep enough to figure that out? You think I just chose that picture? <laughs> is is it even? It, I think it's blurry. It's not even in focus. I think posting sharp imagery would be one of the first criteria when running any Instagram account. It's not posting, that blurry. It's blurry. Posting relevant content this to what relevant. we're discussing this in the is, show. This is relevant. To that relevant. those are key criterias of staying on brand and promoting the what content. About that, can I just post that? Like guys surfing. Also has nothing. So that's the other thing. We have a must-see moment, which is you give a moment each week and I give a moment each week. Then you post five other photos that say must-see moment or video that aren't the ones that we actually talked about on the show. When I'm inspired by a moment that you must see, I post it up there and I and I tag um, Spy. But it's not the one that we talked about on the show. Is my right. Point. So that's... What about that? That shouldn't be on there? That should be for sure. Why? We didn't talk about it before. We the, just talked about it. Yeah, but this was put up three weeks ago or whatever. Oh. When I guess that one's timely. It's a news It's a news story and it's timely. Uh, and we are a news source, of course. <laughs> oh, yeah. The foremost, yeah. most authority on news and serving. <laughs> You're um, like Alex Jones. No, but... <laughs> <laughs> of the two of us, who is more Alex Jones? <laughs> Not me. Um, I voted blue, baby. Look at this. Oh my god! Rivalries. Okay, so Scott, here's okay. what I do love about the account is that it's so Scott. I have to now. I'm kind of like on board to support it because it is, um, it's charming. Well, just be a part of it. I mean, it's not that like the fact. Like, I know you don't like everything that I do, it's but you're become, not gonna. I'm not gonna be able to please you all the time. But this is about us. It's not about me, and it won't be good. It won't have your part, your half of it, unless you get your half involved. I think it's. At this point, I can never. There's yin and yang here. Right now, it's only yang. I need some yang on here. I need you on this. I need you on here. Never engage. Why? Don't be a puss. It's even better. It's even better now. Like, oh god, we've already talked about it way too much. I'm worried that people are actually going to go look at it now because we've talked about it this much. Definitely go on there and definitely tell David you're not going to listen unless he engages. I want like a a listener boycott of the show (laughs) unless you engage on the Spit Podcast. Don't Come any on. listeners don't go on there. Go on to boardroom show. At it feels boardroom like show. you're big leaguing me and the listeners by not doing it. You're, I you're think, being too. Cool. I think boardroom show is big leaguing spit by not posting it on boardroom. Boardroom show, show, boardroom ha- show has twenty thousand followers. Yeah, but boardroom show has its own podcast. Yeah, don't you have a, your own podcast and you don't like bring up boardroom show on your other podcast? I try to promote everything. I've been on bad th- about it this week. I've been bad. <laughs> I haven't promoted anything I've done this week. I've had a busy week. But actually, I mean, we don't, we're getting real deep into the weeds. I'm the worst at social media. Like, no, I you're will, not. You're really good at it. Well, dude, I'll do like a three posts a day for a week, and then I won't do anything for a week because I get busy. I need to make it a, a priority is really what I need to do. So there you have it. He's going to engage on the show that he's half involved in all the time. He's actually going to get involved in the Spit Podcast, which isn't hard. One gonna, or two chiming in. I'm not going to do it. I can't. I can't leave. <laughs> I choose to go play in the mud over there, Scott. Uh, or I choose not to go okay. play in the mud over there. I can only ask so many times. Uh, but but by the go, way, right. create a discus. 
this account. Now you want me to get involved with Well, this. listeners have left comments for you on the website. Okay, I will do that because I'm not uh, I'm not a billy goat like you are. What's a billy goat? Just look at yourself. What? <laughs> Just look at yourself. That is a billy goat. Uh, new, okay. new Instagram handle, at billy goat. Okay, well, I guess... I understand David doesn't want to get involved with our spit podcast. Instagram. I've made I'm my feelings gonna, known. I'm going to accept it and move on and not let it affect the rest of my day. I got a busy day. I'm going to pick up a new surfboard from um, from my friend at Arise, Ryan Sakel. Nice. Made me a new surfboard. I've also got a really sick Gary McNeil, a new one. And I ordered a new Stu Kenson. The problem with talking with all these surfboard shapers is I order thing. all these friggin' boards. I know. Did you order a new Rossin? No. I chimed in on Pat's Instagram, and he's like, I'm making you one right now. And I'm like, oh, no. Okay. No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I feel I have that same issue. Um, by the way, I get way fewer boards than you do, and I don't have enough time to ride them all. Yeah. Like, it's a problem. Yeah. Before I've even really figured one out in like various conditions and various whatever, I have a new one ready to go and the yeah. other one gets put on the back burner. I know. I literally have a board that hasn't been waxed that's probably two months old. And why are you ordering new ones? This one, this one, Ryan sent me a picture. He goes, hey, I just shaped this board. I thought it'd be really good for you. What do you think? And I'm like, yeah, it looks killer. I'm stoked. Thank you. You know, he's like, all right, cool. Just come out to moonlight in a couple of weeks we'll be ready for you and i'm like okay you know like i didn't so is that a gift no i don't ever take anything I, i'm gonna pay for it but and i'm you know by the way these guys are my clients i want to engage them and i'm not let me be clear i'm super stoked i'm getting a new surfboard of course. i'm not no, no. trying to of be course. like that guy that's not thankful no i'm the one I'm who super brought grateful. up the dilemma i just wish i the funny thing is like i'm the my go-to board right now that i just love is a board that's like six years old that that I just brought out of the rafters I hadn't ridden in a few years. And it's like that song, you know, um, feels like the first time. You know what I mean? Yeah. What board is it then? I'm sort of embarrassed to say. It's a round board. It's a 7-4, 2-plus-1 egg that Steve Coletta made me from Santa Cruz. It's killer. Mm. I love it. But no shame in that. No. All right. Uh, well, shout I've out. also been riding the El Patron that Matt made me, which for the last twelve, it's oh, yeah. been so sick. It's the one you took down to Mex. Yeah, 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 I love that board. So um, to wrap up, thanks to Surfing Heritage and Culture Center for hosting us, home studio. Uh, I've got photos of Scott talking into the mic that'll be on at Surf Splendor. Wait, let me take a picture of you. Exactly. This is the guy that won't um, engage. And then, Why won't you engage? And then also, needessentials.com. Thanks for the support. And spyoptic.com. I'm sure Promo that code Need podcast. and Spyoptic would appreciate it if you would engage with the Instagram listeners. They would. I, they see my engagement with my uh, fan base. How many guys do you have on your Instagram? What is it? Surf Splendor? 11,000. 11, uh, well, we need to get our spit podcast thing up to speed here. Uh, all right, Scott. How many until do I next have? time. No, 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 wait. Audios. We have 555 followers. That's not bad. No. It's okay. not 20,000. <laughs> no, okay. You have 20,000, right? Yeah, 22, I think. Look at you, dude. Full on internet celebrity. Until next time, 
Adios and aloha. Together we